0: One night last year, I left the office, it was late in the evening, and when I got out of the church, the door closed behind me, I realized I had left on my desk my keys and my phone. (laughs) It was pretty late in the evening, and I was locked out. Have you ever been locked out of your house? Ever been locked out of your car? (laughs) It's not a good feeling, is it? Have you ever been locked out of a relationship with someone who holds you up at arm's distance, or locked out of a job opportunity that you'd like to pursue, or locked out of something else in life where, where there's a door that's closed to you? This morning, as we continue to look at the churches of Revelation, the seven churches in Asia Minor, the area that we know of today as Turkey, and and Jesus' words to them through the Apostle John that he writes there in the book of Revelation, we come to the six of the seven churches that we've been looking at uh, And we come to the Church of Philadelphia, as we've talked about, Patmos is the island down there on the left. And John, the writer of Revelation, is in exile, and he's in prison for his faith. And he's writing this letter, these words of Jesus, to the seven churches about what's to come and to get ready. And Jesus offers a message to them of things that they're doing well, but also some things where the warning lights are on, and they need to take some corrective action. And being that the letter of Revelation is written on a scroll... It's one letter, one scroll, and so it starts out in Ephesus, and then it makes its way up to Smyrna, around that postal trade route, and now we come today to the church at Philadelphia. And they receive the letter, and they read it. And many followers in the Church of Philadelphia are like the Church of Smyrna that we looked at a few weeks ago. And, and uh, they were people who were uh, Christians, who had become Christians, who were Jewish Christians. They were people who had been part of the community of faith, part of the synagogue there in Philadelphia. And when they became Messianic Jews and they came into a relationship with Jesus, they were shut out of their faith community. They were shut out of the synagogue. The door was closed to them. But, you know, they knew John's gospel. They knew the words of Jesus in John's gospel because John, who wrote Revelation, was a pastor and a bishop there in Asia Minor. And John wrote his gospel. Prior to writing Revelation, he writes his gospel to people in Asia Minor. And you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about it. Every miracle in the gospel of John is designed to speak into the lives of what was going on in Asia Minor, some of the false gods that the people were worshiping. And so they had heard John's gospel and they knew those words from John chapter 10, verse 9, where Jesus says, I'm the door and the person who enters through me will be saved and will be able to come in and go out and find pasture. In other words, when a person trusts Jesus in faith, understanding that he is the son of God who came to earth to die on the cross to take away your sin and mine. And we trust him in faith for that. He is the door through which we can enter into a relationship with God that's restored. Our relationship with God that was broken by our sin. And so Jesus uses this imagery of the door to communicate that to people. And he uses the same kind of imagery here in John's letter, or Jesus' letter through John to the church at Philadelphia. And so would you turn with me this morning to Revelation chapter 3 as we see Jesus' words about how he opens the door to them to a relationship with God. Beginning in verse 1, he says, To the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, in other words, to the pastor there, write, so that the pastor will stand up and read these words. And he says, These are the words of him who who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. He's saying the same thing that he says in John's Gospel. He is the door through which we enter into a relationship with Jesus, uh, with God. And and Jesus can do that. He holds the key. In other words, he has the authority. The one who holds the key has the power, right? He has the authority. He has the one to control access. And he's saying to the church at Philadelphia, Hey, you may be shut out of the place where you want to worship, where you come to worship. You may be shut out by your family, your faith family, when you became Messianic Jews. But know that I will never shut you out. You are welcome. Always welcome with me. And you know, as I thought about this and I looked at the world in John's day and in what was going on in Philadelphia and in these other churches, I realized that for all times, people have always sought after some other way to God than through Jesus. Think about it, what we've looked at over these last weeks. People in that day followed Zeus, who they considered, this mythological god, who they considered to be the king of kings, god of gods, the creation of all things that existed. And they worshipped the mythological god Asclepius, who we looked at a few weeks ago. Asclepius, who they believed would give them healing. He was a god who supposedly controlled healing. And and, and mythology tells us that Zeus got upset with Asclepius, and he kills him. And three days later, he has remorse that he kills him, so he raises him up from the dead and then raises him up to Mount Olympus to sit at the right hand of Zeus. I mean, what kind of imagery does that remind you of? Counterfeits of God and of Jesus. And they worship Demeter. Demeter for their groceries. They believe Demeter would give them their food and, and that Demeter would give them life and And part of Demeter worship, if you wanted eternal life, was you had to eat of the meat, the flesh, of the sacred bull, and eat the sacred bread in communion with Demeter or Dionysus, the goddess uh, who was the goddess of party and feeling good and feeling fulfilled and feeling purpose in life. And and the way you did that, they said, was to be drunk. The drunker you got, the more you were one in the Spirit with Dionysus, which is why Paul says in Ephesians, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul's writing to the churches there in Ephesus and in Asia Minor. All kinds of counterfeits of Jesus and of God that people go after. And, and, And it wasn't just in that day. We have it in our day too, don't we? People follow different kinds of religions. We hear today that all, you know, all roads lead to God, all paths lead up the mountain to God. And I want to say to people, hey, what mountain are you on? It's pretty important. And, and, and people who don't get into religion to find fulfillment or purpose then go after the things that our world and our culture, especially here in our Western American society, says we have to be, have to be fulfilled, like wealth and possessions and power and being popular. And Jesus is saying in the midst of all of that that people go after, in order to be fulfilled, in order to find purpose and meaning in life, he says, I'm the way to a relationship with God. I'm the one who opens the door to that relationship with him. But then after saying this in verse one, he goes on to talk about how he opens other doors. And how, when he opens the door into a relationship with God, he then opens the door for us to be in ministry to others out of that relationship with God. Look at verse eight. He says, "I know your deeds. See, have I placed that you? Be, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, and yet you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name." Jesus says, I know your deeds. Now, in every other letter to every other church, he said, I know your deeds too, right? And what did that get followed up with? Some pretty strong rebuke. Some pretty strong words about, hey, here's some places where warning lights are on in your life and you need to take some corrective action. But it's interesting, that's not what he does here to Philadelphia. He has no rebuke for this church. He says, I know your deeds. I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. What he's saying is he's saying, I know how resilient and faithful you are. I see your courage every day. I recognize your humility when I see it. And I know that you're poor. He's saying you're not very strong. What that means is this was a church that wasn't very large. This was a church that didn't have a lot going for it. In terms of wealth and power. And he says, hey, you might not be the richest or the strongest church on planet, but he's saying, I'm going to use you in powerful ways. Never forget that when you are weak, I am strong. And that my strength is going to be exhibited through you as a church. I've opened up a door in front of you, he's saying, that no one can shut. I'm going to use you, he's saying. For, my, for people's good and for God's glory. And, 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 and even, though, even though you're constantly harassed by the Romans because of your refusal to engage in emperor worship, even though you're constantly being undermined and blasphemed by your Jewish neighbors, I know you didn't cave in. You didn't compromise. You didn't sell out. You kept my word. You pro- courageously are proclaiming me to anyone Who will listen? And he says, Now I'm going to open up a door for you. Watch what I do for you. I'm going to open a door that no one can shut. And I'm going to use you to be a part of transforming the lives of others for Jesus. He's saying, I'm going to take the lid off your church, and you are going to be led into an era of unprecedented opportunities. I'm going to go before you, and there are going to be evangelistic opportunities, discipling opportunities, social action and mercy opportunities. The door of kingdom advancement for you is about to swing wide open. Have I got a job for you, he's saying. The door is open. Will you walk through it? Will you let me use you in remarkable ways to be a difference maker in this world? And boy did they ever. Boy, did they ever respond to that and let Jesus use them? because we've been talking about how Asia Minor, when its disciples, when Jesus's disciples in those communities of Christians got to Asia Minor. it was one of the most evil provinces in the Roman Empire, and within a few generations after receiving this letter of revelation, Asia Minor was 80 to 85 percent Christian. They listened. They responded. They walked through the doors, the open doors of ministry opportunities. As I hear these words of Jesus to Philadelphia, I I have to ask myself, David, what about you? What about me? Uh, And I would ask you, what about you? I, I would say, Community Covenant Church, what about us? You see, one of the great benefits that God gives to us after opening the door into a relationship with Him and We receive salvation in His grace and mercy and forgiveness. One of the great benefits that He offers to us then is an open door of ministry to others. It's not, you see, the Christian life's not about comfort and wealth and health and security and all that other stuff that we get caught up in and get all worried about, especially in the age of a pandemic. But the greatest gift that God gives us after salvation is the opportunity to be a difference maker in this world for Him It's the possibilities of being used by Him for tasks of eternal significance in people's lives. This week, we had as a staff a couple days away where we were doing some strategic planning and saying, what's this year look like? And what are the things we need to hone in on and really sharpen in on so that we can be used by God to make a difference in our region of the world where where people are, are in such a need, such a need of God. And uh, as we shared time together and as we talked, one of the things we did that Pastor just led us in was talking about our light verses, and I shared with them one of my light verses is Acts 13.36, and and it's about King David, who I was named after. That's who my parents named me after, was David in the Bible. And it says there in Acts 13.36 that David fulfilled God's purposes in his generation, and then he died. (laughs) Hey, I think that's great. I really do. I mean, what's better than fulfilling God's purposes in this generation? Being a difference maker for him in the world around us and in people's lives. And then getting to go be with him and be with our fathers. It says they buried him with his fathers. And he went home to be with God. I can't think of anything better in life than living into our vision statement as a church, that big picture that we want to attain out there in our lives and as a church of becoming like Jesus together. And living into that and how we do that is our mission statement of growing together in our relationship with Him and growing together in community with each other. Why? So that we can be out there in the world growing together in our ministry for Him. Being difference makers in this world in which we live. And so are we willing? Are we willing to follow God's voice? Are we willing to walk through those doors? The doors that the one who has the key, Jesus, through the power of His Holy Spirit, will open for you and me, if we are willing? Philadelphia was willing. Are we? And if we are, understand we're going to face opposition. Because that's the next point he makes. When he says this in Revelation 3, verse 9, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. What he's saying is he understands that these people are facing opposition. And we saw a few weeks ago when we looked at Smyrna why that was. It was because in that day, in the Roman Empire, the Jewish faith and religion was allowed a special exemption by the Roman Caesars from having to worship the Caesar. They understood that the Jewish people were monotheistic, and so they gave them an exemption of having to worship the Caesars as long as they paid a pretty healthy tax to be able to do so. And so the Jewish people had that exemption. And for a while, Christians did as well, because the Roman government thought that Christianity was just an offshoot of Judaism, which it is. I mean it comes out of our Jewish faith. It comes out of Jewish roots. And so they treated Christians as they did Jews until ultimately the Jews said, Hey, they're not really affiliated with us. And then some persecution happened. And persecution happened as these emperors demanded that they be worshipped as divine. It began with Caesar Augustus, who said, Hey, I, or Julius Caesar, who, who said, I'm God. And then his son Caesar Augustus said, Well, Dad is God, I'm the son of God, and it went on from there and grew. And and, and then in these towns, if you didn't worship the gods, the mythological gods, or burn incense to the Gods of those communities, the people that the people worship, you couldn't be part of a trade guild, you couldn't buy and sell in the marketplace, so you were in poverty and you could only buy and sell to other believers. All of this is going on, and that's what Jesus is pointing out here in verse nine. He says, "There is going to be persecution." Can I say that when you and I go out into this world and we share Jesus with others, there's going to be times where people are going to reject us. People will think we are a bit off. I I shared a few weeks ago that story of The View where Joy Behar was laughing at Vice President Mike Pence because he talked about praying to God and how the Spirit of God would communicate back with him. And Behar's going, he's a little nuts what people think. And there's opposition. It's coming. And it'll come when we live for Jesus in this world. We'll also be able to make a difference as we saw. But in the midst of it, Jesus gives encouragement. To, and he, he gives strength to endure to the people in Philadelphia. Look at what He says in verses 10 and 11. He says, Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. And then he says in verse 11, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He's saying here in verse 10 that either he is going to spare them from worldwide uh, trouble that's coming in a short time, or he will keep them through it. We don't really know exactly what he's saying because the Greek word there can either mean he would keep them from it, or he or, or will keep them from it, or he will keep them through it. And and it's kind of 50-50, take your choice. And I think that probably what he's saying here is that he'll keep them through it because John is writing to a people where Domitian is going to come into power if he isn't already. And Domitian, they say in history, next to Adolf Hitler and a few others like that, is one of the most evil emperors that ever existed. And if you didn't worship Domitian, you faced the possibility, the very real possibility of death. And Jesus is saying that whatever it is that we face in life as a result of being followers of his if he doesn't keep us from it he will keep us through it and he says he's coming soon and so he says hold on hold on he encourages the believers at Philadelphia to hold fast and, and and not lose or forfeit that crown that victor's crown that would be ours at the end of time when we come before him. It's kind of that image that we see going on in the Olympics today with the Olympic Games when people would win win the gold medal and they stand on the podium, they receive the victor's medal. Jesus is talking in that day to people who when they had the Olympic Games they would get a crown, a wreath for the winner. And he's saying, hang in there. Hang in there no matter what happens in life. No matter what opposition there is to us when we live in our world as Christians, but also he's saying, endure and hang in there even in the midst of everything else that goes on in life that's hard. Hang in there because I will walk with you. And I think there's a word in there for us today who are facing all kinds of Things in the future that we just do not know who, who maybe have all kinds of anxiety and fears and wondering what is the year ahead going to hold? We thought we were through this pandemic and now we've got this variant and we've got this thing going on and that. A- and there's all kinds of anxieties and fears and worries that we face. And he's saying, hang on, I'll walk with you. I will give you strength to endure no matter what it is that you are going through. He says, I'll help you be an overcomer. Just like Philadelphia, I'll help you to be an overcomer. And how do we do that? I thought about that this week and in our staff meeting when I shared with them one of my life verses being about David fulfilling God's purposes in his generation. I shared also that another one of my life texts really is one that helps us keep encouragement and find our strength in the Lord when we need it the most. And boy, do we ever need it today. The story comes from 1 Samuel 30. And it's the story of David and his fighting men who are out fighting the Philistines and they come back to Ziklag. And this is before David is king. They come back to Ziklag and they find out that the Amalekites have... have uh, attacked the city, and they carried off their wives and their children and their grandchildren, and and they plundered the city and they burned it, and and David's men become so filled with anxiety and frustration and fear about the future that they turn on him, their leader. And the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 30, they want to kill him. They want to stone him. And in the midst of it, verse 6 says, David found his encouragement in the Lord. David found his strength in the Lord. Instead of getting all caught up in the fears and the anxieties and the one worries of, of the men that were getting caught up in that, David found his strength in his relationship with God. And then it says in verses 7 8, he went from there to seek God and to seek what His response and the next steps should be. I think that's a great example for you and me as we face the anxieties and the fears and the worries and the concerns of today. That Jesus will walk with us and He will help us endure if we will find our strength in Him and we will seek Him. He promises to give us that encouragement and hope. And then lastly, he promises something great at the end. Look at the last couple of verses in the letter to the church at Philadelphia. He says, to those who are going to stay faithful to me, he says, to the one who is victorious. In other words, to the one who overcomes. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, he says, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What's he saying here? He is using images that the people in Philadelphia understood very well. Remember last week, we talked about how in the Jewish synagogues, there in their temples, they would write the names of the people in their community, in their faith community, on the walls. And when those people became followers of Jesus, Messianic Jews, they would cut their name out of the wall. they chiseled chisel their name out. They would blot it out. And Jesus is saying, Hey, when you walk through the door into a relationship with me, and you walk through doors of ministry with me, and in those moments of life when you're really up against it, if you stay faithful to me, know that He says, Your name will never be cut out of that wall. I will put your name on the eternal pillar, the temple of heaven, and it will be there forever, and you will be with me forever. What a great message! To the people there who were going to face terrible things in their life. What a great message for you and me today. When we don't know exactly what we're going to face tomorrow. Or the next day, or next week, or next month, or next year. But more than that, he also draws... On their history that was so, and their future that was so uncertain because of where they lived. I don't know if you know this about Philadelphia, but Philadelphia is built on a fault line, and throughout its history, it had had a number of earthquakes, and it had been damaged, sometimes destroyed. And each time Rome would repair the city, what they would do is rename it. Hmm? So think about it: people are living in a city. What what name is it, right? We've had so many names. And Jesus draws on that to give them hope and to give them courage to say that I'm going to bring upon you a city, a new Jerusalem, and that name will never change. That will be your identity. People who are living in a world of constant wondering what their identity is and what the future will hold and what tomorrow will bring and whether an earthquake will happen can know that one day you will be in a city that is secure. You will be in a place and have a name that will go on into eternity. And you will be a part of worshiping me in that temple because that's the image, really, of heaven. It's all through Revelation, right? The New Jerusalem. It's a temple. It's Revelation 4, and the people gathered around God's throne day and night, worshiping Him, singing, Holy, holy, holy are you. And as I think about that, I, I, I and as I think about finding our encouragement in the Lord, in the midst of all that we're going through, I also think of, another step we can take and how we can find our encouragement in Jesus, and that is to be in a state of constant worship of Him as we go through life. Worshiping Him here on earth, just like we're going to be worshiping Him constantly when we are in heaven, according to Revelation 4 and other places. And as we worship Him here for the hour On Sunday mornings, and as we worship Him in our cars, as we drive along the way, and as we worship Him in those moments when we are in our homes, we can know that He will give us strength to endure. And we will find our encouragement and our strength in Him. And He will help us deal with the fears and the worries and the anxieties and all that you and I face. You know, I I learned something recently about the human mind, which is fascinating to me. Never knew this until a while ago. And they tell us that, that when a person is focused on thanksgiving and gratitude, and that's what we focus our mind on, it is impossible for our mind to worry. Isn't that amazing? That's just amazing to me. When you and I are focusing our minds and our thoughts on thanksgiving and gratitude, it is impossible for our mind to worry. I think that's a great gift from God, and that may be what Jesus is referring to here when He talks about worshiping in the temple and worshiping Him day and night and being people of worship. Not people who are spectators, but people who are truly engaged when we come here on a Sunday morning. And truly engaged in worship as we drive along the street during the day. Being engaged in worship. In closing, let me share with you what Soren Kierkegaard said one time about worship. He says, so oftentimes in worship, you and I, as followers of Jesus, can you know, can find ourselves in a situation on Sundays where the worship team are the worshipers, God is The director and we as the audience are kind of the listeners. The audience. But true worship, he says, true worship is when the worship leaders are the directors. And we in the congregation are the worshipers. And God is the audience. And when you and I worship Him, in the fullness of who He is. And we are thankful and we give gratitude for Him, to Him for opening the door of our life into a relationship with Him and opening the doors of our life in ministry to others and knowing that no matter what we face, He will walk with us and be with us as we seek Him, as we worship Him, as we find our strength and encouragement in Him. We can know That there is no need to fear. That as John says at the end of Revelation, one day there will be no more suffering. No more death. No more disease. No more pandemics. No more wars. No more division and fighting between people. But there will be the new heaven and the new earth where you and I will live. what a message of hope and encouragement that is to us today.